Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Rachel Bajowski. Rachel has worked with clients such as National Geographic, The New York Times, and Wired, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Rachel about her experience living on a sailboat for three years and photographing a project about people living off the grid in alternative housing, which was published by National Geographic. I also speak to Rachel about her approach to writing, and specifically an article she wrote and photographed for the New York Times on the unhoused crisis in California, with over 150,000 people living in shelters or outdoors on the streets. In 2020, Rachel won an Emmy for her documentary work with ESPN, and was also named one of the 30 new and emerging photographers to watch out for. Rachel is someone whose work I have a great admiration for with her ability to tell very intimate and important stories on very serious issues. So I hope you enjoy this interview and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, Rachel Boljowski, welcome to the podcast. Excited to talk to you. I think you're my first Emmy award winning photographer, uh, anybody on the podcast so excited to talk to you um but i guess uh, how's life been a crazy last 12 months or so but how are you doing out there i'm good yeah i'm doing good working away um you know i'm always keeping myself busy so um and then i've got my partner and then my dog so i'm comfy cozy in our house and and then jumping in on assignments too so that's good. So you've been staying busy, still kind of working through COVID and everything uh, the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, assignments are still happening and things need to get covered. So I am still working. Has it been because as anybody looking at your work, um, you do a lot of documentary work. It's people based and you're photographing all types of stories from uh, homeless people on the street and all different types of stories. Have you kind of had to adjust how you approach photographing and just kind of the safety aspect with COVID or anything? Or how have you kind of been approaching it? Yeah, I think I've had to adjust with just being extra, extra careful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just really wearing three masks, sometimes even the shield too, which is hard to photograph in, but it's necessary to keep people safe and me safe. And yeah, so that's been an adjustment because it is really hard to get as intimate as I normally do, you know, Mm -hmm. with all that extra gear on, so. Yeah, definitely. And I guess to go back, I was just kind of curious, like where you grew up and like, how do you kind of discover photography initially? Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, Geneva, Illinois. And so I, you know, like a lot of people in high school, I was so excited to jump into the dark room. And that was just, of course, so magical and exciting. And that's where I first discovered it. And then Um, And then in college, I had to have a side job. So um, I worked at my college newspaper, the Daily Vedette at Illinois State University. Yeah. And that's where I really fell in love. So when you you were going to college, were you were you going to school for photography or were you not even thinking about that as a career at that point? I was. So I minored in photography and I initially took business to think that was the way I was going to pair it up. But then um, I quickly jumped out of all those classes. I did not like statistics. I did not do well in statistics. It's so <laughs> hard for me to focus. So I was like, there's got to be another way. Um, yeah. So then I did art education and photography. So that was my way to like keep into the art classes, but then also, you know, have this other, you know, backdoor as a teacher to teach yeah. art. No, Uh, definitely. Yeah. And like when you kind of first picked up a camera, what kind of stuff were you photographing? What kind of interested you like looking at your work? Like I said, it's a lot of documentary based journalism and storytelling. Was that always kind of the stuff you're kind of drawn to even early on? Yeah, um, I loved people. So and I've always I've always loved people. So I was drawn to um you know, finding stories, seeing what people were doing on campus initially, that was, you know, in 
in that town where I went to school, it was like, what's going on? So I was drawn to that immediately. But then I was also, you know, going to school um, and taking all these art classes. So I was learning as well, you know, about tons of different artists and photographers. And so I was really interested in then combining the two. So documentary and art and how could I do it, you know, combined. And were there like any photographers work that kind of really kind of inspired you or like kind of early on when you look back who's, who, whose work kind of maybe kind of lit a fire or anything like that? I loved Tierney Giron. Um, she was so inspiring. We watched a film um, in class and I remember I was just in love with her work. I loved the way she was documenting, but it was, you know, each photograph was an art piece. Um, and it was very personal. She was very, very personal. And then the same with um, Lauren Greenfield. It was the same thing. Um, just loved those two right off the bat. No, it's amazing. And how was like going to Illinois State University? How were the kind of photo classes? Was it geared towards like journalism or fine art or what kind of stuff did they have you working on when you were going to school there? Yeah, so we did, my photo classes were, I took my first photo class, it was a performance-based photo class. Inter- so, I never heard of that. I, I never heard of that. That's interesting. I know. It was very challenging because I was, you know, at the same time doing documentary work mm-hmm. outside of class. And then, you know, um, the professor was like, all right, we're going to, you guys are going to turn the camera on yourself. And so initially I was like, all right, what am I going to do? And I remember um, dressing up and kind of putting myself in these old school clothes and um, because I always felt like I had an old soul. So I did this whole portrait project, which I don't, I don't even (laughs) to go back would be kind of funny, but (laughs) Yeah. yeah, that was one of the first things we did. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I look back, I still have all the photos I took in college and we all, we, I had some similar assignments, like professors make you do like weird stuff. And it is interesting kind of going back and looking at your work. Like, do you ever kind of go back and look at your old work and kind of see where you're at now and this kind of the evolution of it? Oh, totally. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. I look at it, I'm like, why did I take that picture? And why was I shooting it like that? I would never do it like that now, but it's, just, it's kind of interesting to see the progress, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, it is. And how was, uh, you know, working at the Daily Vedette, your your college uh, newspaper, uh, how was kind of working there? I also worked at my school. We had like a college uh, magazine. I, I really enjoyed it. But how was your kind of experience? What kind of stuff were you kind of photographing when you were working for the school newspaper? Yeah, it was everything from general news to um, features I love the features, of course, because I got more time to spend with people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember one assignment, um, which was just so fun. An editor and I had, it was a, f- a huge flood on campus that day. And we were like, let's go out and like, let's capture a daily. Um, and so I saw this guy about to jump off of a car into the street, into the flooded street. And um, the editor and I, you know, we went into the water and captured this awesome photo um, of this guy jumping off his car into the street, uh, into the water. No, that's that's awesome. And being that your work is like, like you said, you're you're very intimate with your subjects. You're you're photographing very intense stories a lot of the times, like people whose house might have just burnt down. I know you did a whole series when the paradise, the fires out in California and you're photographing people that are like living in cars and hotels. Like, have you always been comfortable approaching people and photographing these like intimate situations? Or do you kind of feel like it take you a while to kind of build that confidence to approach people in these like hard circumstances? Yeah, I think I've, I've always innately had that Um, on, you know, going back to the daily vedette, like it was just in me to know what was going on. I want to be, I always want to be included in everything. And I want to, I want to go through different experiences. And um, so that really came with me throughout my career so far. And um, 
yeah, even the hard situations, it's almost like I want to know how these people are dealing and, um, and I want to be there with them. So yeah, it, it, it is challenging sometimes, but um, I wouldn't do it any other way. And what do you think the key is to kind of like, you know, approaching people in those hard situations? Is there like anything you've learned and like, how do you kind of go about it? Is it just, you know, is there like a level of like patience you kind of have to have the people? Cause like the, I go back to it again, the, that you did a whole series, people can go check it on your website uh, on the paradise fires home after paradise, uh, really incredible work. But it, like, I was looking, I was like, man, I can't imagine approaching someone whose house just burned down and being like, hey, can I uh, take your pictures? It's a very hard thing to do. And so hats off to you. Like it's incredible work and an important story to tell. But is there anything you've learned of kind of dealing with people? And how do you kind of approach people in these like hard situations, I guess? Yeah, it it is a hard situation to come up to somebody after um, they've lost a house and, and approach them. And I, um, you know, the way I do it, though, is I'm like, this, this matters. And these stories matter. And normally people shy away from the aftermath, you know, the initial fires get covered, Mm -hmm. but then what happens to all these people after? And so it's, it's a huge um, curiosity of mine to know how they're doing and, and also be like, well, what do you need? What, what's missing and really get curious about what they need. And, and, and even if it is just talking, because in these situations, people think, Oh, I don't, I'm too scared to talk to them. It's going to be hard to relate, but really like we all go through hard situations and we can relate to each other. And sometimes it is just listening. And Mm -hmm. so I come into it, I go into it knowing people want to talk and, and share their hard times. And, um, So it's, it's all about like keeping that in the back of my head and then um, having the overall vision of like, this is gonna, this is important. This is going to help once it gets all published and put together um, and people see it. So then keeping that in the back of my mind, I, you know, just have the confidence to go up and say, Hey, you know, I know you're going through this. Would you mind sharing your story? And most of the time people say yes. And and they're and you know, they'll, and they'll invite me in and they'll say, well, what are you doing? And they're curious about me. And so then it's like, you know, me sharing my story and why I care about telling their story. And then we, we end up finding this common ground and then, you know, usually become friends. Yeah, because these guys, these people are like in that circumstance, they, they might have just lost their home, they're homeless and, you know, they're lost. And you, you kind of made a good point of like the, the news, you turn on the TV or whatever, the news cycle moves so quick and it seems like it moves quicker and quicker with technology. So it's like, you're right, they do, they cover the initial like traumatic thing that happened, be it the wildfire or whatever it might be, a terrorist attack or anything that's crazy going on in the world. But you're right these stories it affects these people for years and years and years so it's like you kind of give them a voice because i'm sure these people are lost they don't know what to do so looking it's kind of telling their story probably gives them some type of hope hopefully and just kind of getting it out there i would imagine oh totally and they have so much to share they have um well kind of giving an example this one couple had Um, a set of twins and they're living in an RV. They had lost their house in the fire. And when I met her, um, the mother, she told me she was pregnant with another set of twins. And so it was, you know, all these different visits to their family was just almost like this um, therapy that we could talk about, you know, what had happened and then what her plan was moving forward. And it gave her this hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, just something to look forward to. And at the end, she was just like, you know, you're more, you're more like a friend now. And I was like, yeah, I, I feel like you're a friend too. And then it was just like, now I, you know, we genuinely want to check in on each other. Mm. So, yeah. I was going to ask you that, like, is, is that something you think about? Like, is, is it, 
it can it be a bad thing to be, get too close to your subjects and like you said become friends is there like do you feel like as a journalist or a photographer is there like a line you have to draw or like how do you approach that because some people will say like you shouldn't become friends with your subjects or like what's your kind of mindset on that I guess yeah and I say friends as in like you know we're checking in every you know I don't know I could go three months checking on somebody they could check in on me you know it's like Mm-hmm. about a comfortability of checking in and, and texting each other, call, you know, giving a call. Um, but there's always a, there's already a boundary set in the beginning because they know what, what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there is a boundary of course. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like if someone's going to text me or we're going to spend all that time, we're going to, keep up with each other and respond to texts and calls no definitely yeah and uh i guess like when you got out of college like like you said you're kind of minoring in photography and you're you're going i think what, what was your major it was in art uh like, like uh teaching right like yeah so what did you kind of when you got out of college did you, did you already know you kind of wanted to pursue shooting or like what was kind of your first step once you got out of school yeah so i actually took a um teaching job right out of school but you know as I was teaching actually high school students art and photography I was felt like something was missing so Mm -hmm. I ended up leaving that profession that I had just gotten that degree you know spent four years getting that degree and then I loved the idea of finding a photography internship and just jumping into the photo career a hundred percent and leaving everything behind. And so I did, I found an internship with Lauren Greenfield actually in California and I ended up moving out there or out here. Was, was Lauren someone whose work you really enjoyed and how's that kind of experience uh, working for her? Cause I mean, she's such a legendary photographer, incredible work, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I found her work in college and I just loved the way that she, um, was really looking at things, um, in big themes. She was really into girl culture and wealth and, um, she was very intimate with her people that she photographed. And so, um, I just, you know, called up the studio and went out there Um, and yeah, working with her was basically the best, best course in how to become a photographer, I would say. Um, Yeah, yeah, she's interesting because she straddles the line of like documentary work, but then she also does really like amazing commercial work, which is like hard to do it's really like two different lanes it's uh it's always kind of respected about her work she figured out a way who do her artwork and do these incredible like powerful stories but then she also does commercial work to keep the lights on you know which is uh it's hard to do oh totally yeah watching her work was um amazing and I've adopted a lot of things so from watching her so it was yeah and again, I guess once you kind of stop working for her, like, how did you kind of start getting your name out there? Because I think a lot of people listening and, you know, you, you've made a career getting to shoot from some amazing clients like National Geographic, New York Times, Wall Street Journal and a bunch of others. Like, how do you kind of first get your foot in the door and get your work out there and uh, find clients, I guess? Yeah, so it was building a portfolio while, while I was working for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was you know, really starting to network and email um, editors. I had built up a lot of contacts from working for her. And then I um, started doing portfolio reviews. I started really building a photo community, which I think is so important. And did you kind of have a goal in mind for the type of work you wanted to do? Like, did you always kind of, was it, did you want to shoot for New York times and like wall street journal and these documentary style work or what was kind of your portfolio looking like when you first started off, I guess. Yeah. So I was, um, 
I was photographing in Venice, California on the streets and really building up um, this long, long theme work on housing. I was just really, I've always been interested in housing. So I've really stuck with that. Um, and from there, I, you know, I knew I wanted to work for the New York Times. I knew I wanted to work for National Geographic. And um, it was just from the beginning, reaching out to editors there. Um, so just, you know, spending that good, you know, two years building up that portfolio, I didn't have any clients at that point, you know, and so it took time. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was, you know, having the goal and then just cold emailing, you know, and just being like, hey, yep. <laughs> here's my work. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot. It's a lot of no's. I know I've, that's how I've been. It's still it's just a lot of email and email showing new work, showing new work. You know, we get a couple out of 100 emails or something, get that one assignment. It's like fuel to keep it moving, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. And who who were like some of the what were kind of some of the first assignments you got? Like when you first started shooting for editorial and publications and stuff or any like early assignments that kind of stick out that you kind of remember kind of shooting? Yeah, well, so the first um, story that I was super excited to get published was my connected off the grid work. Um, and so that project got published with National Geographic. Um, and so. Oh, yeah, I'll pull, I'll pull it, it up. Anybody listening, you can go on. I'll put it on YouTube and people can look at the photos. But so this was was this like a personal project you were shooting yourself and then pitched it to Natio? Exactly. Yeah. So this, I would say, is my first uh, project that, you know, I did on my own. So that's a lot of the work. That's how I really, I feel like started was not getting assignments, but doing my own projects that I really cared about mm -hmm. and then pitching them out. Um, and then the assignment came, you know, the assignments came after that. Yeah. And what was the what's the theme with this story um, off the grid? It's kind of people just living in kind of rural environments or kind of out in the wilderness, kind of. Yeah. So connected off the grid started because I I was living on a sailboat, um, you know. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and in this alternative way. And so I was really interested in living alternative, how other people were living alternatively. Um, and so, and then, you know, in Venice, there's a lot of people living in RVs. Um, and so it was just, you know, making a, um, a map of California and being like, okay, so this is, this is going to be, um, you know, your constraints. So it was pulling together, you know, different off-grid locations throughout California and then giving myself three months to go to each location and document uh, people living off the grid. And, you know, then it took a bunch of editing and then um, this is what I came up with. And where were you finding most of these subjects and anything you kind of learned or kind of took away from getting to spend the time with so many people kind of living in different circumstances? Yeah. So it was really amazing to see. Um, so this is Pam right here living um, in Point Arena, just people really living off the land um, and creating their own, you know, making their own food, um, I never had my own garden. Now I do. And so it was, it was kind of this really cool learning process for me to see how people um, could live off the land um, in these different situations. But then, you know, it was from land to mountains to boats too. Wow. So there was people that, you know, had to gather their food on shore and then bring it out, um, you know, teaching their kids different ways of life. Um, then wow uh, so they, they had like a little garden on the top of, was this the kind of the top of their truck pretty much yeah so these two women lived out of their rv and their goal was to you know spend most of their time traveling um and then you know eat healthy and along the way so they made a garden on top of their roof so it was basically like, you know, all these people got to create their own world. It was more, this is like their choice. So 
I learned that you could really choose where, choose how you want to live. Um, and it was real, it was similar to how I was living on the sailboat. So it was a perfect time for me to do the project because I could really relate to everybody. How, how was your experience living on a sailboat and how, how did that kind of come about for you? It seems like it must've been pretty interesting. It was an amazing three years, um, but it came about because I was living in a apartment in Venice. It was pretty expensive with three other women and it was hard to just pay rent every month and figure out my photography career at the same yeah. time. And I wanted to have a lower overhead and I found out you could live on a sailboat in Marina del Rey. And um, so I found a sailboat on Craigslist. Wow. So people own the sailboat and then they basically just rent out the sailboat as if it was like an apartment pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. That's, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is in 2014 and I ended up living, I only thought I was going to live on it for a little bit. And then it ended up being three years because it was just such a fun experience. Do you think you'd go back to living like that or maybe doing something like some of these people kind of living off the grid? Is it something that kind of interests you, you think, or? It totally interests me. Yeah. And I still kind of feel like, you know, you know, looking forward for my future, like what, what kind of lifestyle do I want to create? Um, and I'm still pulling from these people. I'm always learning or I've, you know, I always learn from the people that I'm photographing and then pull little parts, um, back with me. And it would be something that I would love to do, but it is also very, a very hard life to, um, live off the grid. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if I'd live back on the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have a neighbor that lives on a boat in San Francisco during the winters, uh, which is, uh, yeah, it seems interesting. I, maybe I'll have to give it a try. I'll go live on a sailboat for a couple of months or something. Yeah, try it and let me know what you think. And with your work, one thing I was kind of curious about, how do you approach like the editing process of your work? Do you view yourself as like a traditional photojournalist, like as someone who most people shoot for the New York Times, like photojournalists or Wall Street Journal? Um, I think basically the rules are you only can do basic like color adjustments and exposure and stuff like that. You can't really utilize all the different tools of Photoshop. Like how do you kind of approach and view your approach to your work and editing process, I guess? Um, yeah, I think very traditional. I, um, you know, go, I, I use photo mechanic, um, and then I use Photoshop. So I think, I think I'm pretty traditional. Mm -hmm. No, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, another assignment, I know the one, I think you, the one you won the Emmy for was for ESPN, uh, 44 years, 41 allegations. I was just kind of curious, um, how that came about for you. Was that another, Thing that you were working on personally or they came to you to shoot that or how's your kind of experience working on that project yeah so that project came about um by the editor reached out to me the espn editor reached out and um she pitched me the project and was like what do you think it's gonna kind of take you um to new york to maine um, Southern California. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, tough topic. And so I, I said, yeah, I'm definitely in. I, um, I didn't know how big it was going to get. And I didn't realize that we were going to also be making a film alongside the photographs as well. So these producers that started this, you know, we're already in like six months, um, researching, uh, this story and, or investigating, it was a big investigation. So. And for people listening, what, what's the backstory to, uh, the, all these gentlemen that were photographed for the ESPN project called 44 years, 41 allegations. Maybe you could um, talk a little bit about the subjects. Yeah, of course. So, the story is about um, Conrad Manwaring, and he's an Olympian track uh, coach, an athlete. And so he um, basically has been sexually abusing these all these men mm -hmm. um, for 44 years. And 
finally, as they say, the past caught up to him and he, you know, somebody had come out and finally said, you know, this has been happening. And then through a lot of online interaction, it started coming out and all these men started coming out one after the other um, saying it happened to me too. And so the ESPN reporter got wind of the story and he was like, we've got to get this out. We've got to get this out here. And so one by one, the men started saying yes to being interviewed and photographed. Um, and it was, it wasn't easy for them to come out. It was still very, very difficult because these guys are, you know, some in their fifties, um, and then all the way to London. So, and it's like a traumatic thing in their life. A lot of people probably don't want to think about it anymore. I would imagine maybe, I don't know who wants to relive that. It's like torture. Exactly. It was so hard for them to talk about, but they knew the importance and they knew that, once this story came out, other men could have the courage to come out as well. So yeah, I think, it, yeah, it was definitely a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, and it was, it was also challenging to, um, you know, relate to these men because, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, 32 and I'm, you know, I'm like, how am I going to relate to them? And it, you know, it was, it was after I met them and learned, you know, who they were as people, it was, it ended up being easy and they were just the nicest people. And, um, we ended up doing, um, like filming Conrad at the track as well. So I had to do a whole undercover part for the, um, documentary piece. Oh, wow. on E60 that completely took me out of my comfort zone, but um, was really important for the film. So yeah, it was no, that's, it's, a big yeah. undertaking. Yeah, it's really intense and real powerful work. And when you're working on an assignment like this, where you're photographing a bunch of different people, um, how do you kind of approach it? Do you is there like an overall mood you're trying to go after for all the photos or do you kind of this, this approach each shoot individually or like, how do you approach when you're doing a large project like this and photographing different people? Like what was kind of your goal with kind of portraying these guys in the pictures, I guess. Yeah, I see. I approached it knowing that I wanted um, all the portraits to look similar. Mm -hmm. So um I had, you know, I kind of made a little vision board of like, okay, we're going to do portraits, um, you know, environmental portraits and ask them where, where do they feel comfortable in their home or where do they like to be um, in town? It was, you know, really asking them where, where they felt comfortable first. And then from there, um, it was, where do you, like, what kind of activities do you do on a day-to-day basis? Um, so we, I wanted to capture them um, in, in a sport or an activity that was comfortable for them and then just made sure that was consistent with all of them. But, you know, each, each man I had a long conversation with before I went out and visited them. So I, I did get to know them a little bit before, which is, I think, really important. Is that something you do allow with your subjects, kind of talk to talk to them for a while before you even break out the camera or is it kind of kind of differ sometimes for you? I think it differs, but um, some people really, I think it's just reading, reading the person automatically and knowing, okay, I need to spend some more time. I need to share more about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some people are just so ready to, you know, yeah, go ahead. I'm ready to be, you know, for you to photograph me. But I think it's just all about reading people. No, definitely. You know, one thing I was thinking about looking at your work, like I said, it's a lot of very, you know, tough stories and people in hard times sometimes. Like, does it ever get to you? Like, like photographing all these like tough subjects, does it ever affect your kind of mental like day to day? Like I can't because these topics like people are homeless or these guys who are are been abused, like it's it's really intense stories like how do you kind of maintain your sanity like uh, photographing these really intense stories I guess yeah it's I think keeping a balance with my personal health and 
um, coming home and settling down and just, you know, talking it out with my partner and with my friends Mm -hmm. and hearing, hearing how, you know, what, what they think, um, really helps me. And, and then also knowing that this is really important that, these people want a place to talk. And sometimes maybe I'm the, you know, first person in a long time that they've been able to open up to somebody. So that really keeps me feeling positive. I I really get a lot from knowing that maybe I'm, you know, I'm there to just listen for a little bit first and they haven't had that in a long time. Um, And, and yeah, and and sometimes it does get to me where I get really sad and I, um, I really feel for them. And then, but it's, you know, just knowing I've got to take care of myself. I've got to go for a run. I've got to do my yoga. I've got to eat healthy um, and get good. So definitely hats off to you. Yeah. Cause I was looking at your website. I was like, man, Rachel's a badass. Like telling these stories, like, I don't know, I could do it. Like it's, it's incredible work and it's important that people out there like you are telling these stories. Cause like it gives, like I said, it gives these people a voice when they're in a tough spot and hopefully, you know, it does help them, you know? So like hats off to you for telling these really tough topic stories, you know? And, and, uh, I know looking at some of your work, I know you, besides photographing, you also do some writing for some of your stories. Like I know you did a, a piece for the New York times, on the homeless in California is writing. Has that always been a part of your kind of work and what do you kind of enjoy about it? Yeah, it has. Um, I think interviewing, I do a lot of recording when I'm out in the field as well. Um, So I think the context of what people are going through is really important Mm -hmm. and it helps me. I'm not the best writer, but I'm, I'm, I know how important it is. So having the recorder with me and making sure I'm gathering all, you know, all of the information I can and having questions prepared um, helps me write after Mm -hmm. the fact, because um, it doesn't just come to me. It's really, you know, looking at my interviews, transcribing the interviews and then looking at it. And then that's helping me write. So yes, I think it's really important for my work to have that. And is the recording, is that something you do all the time or is that only something you do when you know you're going to write the piece or is the recording when you're talking to people, is that always is a part of your workflow when photographing? It's it's a lot of the time when I know I'm not going to be able to remember everything um, and I'm really trying to... Um, remember my questions, but also like just really just be present with people. So it does, it helps me so much. And so I do it like, I don't know, like 60% of the time um, when people have a lot to say and people usually have a lot to say. (laughs) Yeah. And I would imagine it probably helpful too, because if you're working on like a long format story, like you can go back and listen to it. And then like you said, you, you remember stuff that you didn't remember or whatever. And then you feel like it kind of, I was going to ask, like, do you feel like your writing can kind of help inform your photography sometimes or vice versa? Yeah, it's, it's almost like, um, like a meditation too, where you're able to like, kind of write it look at, okay, what did I just write? And then, oh, okay, what image do I need to add in to help complete the story? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a longer process, I think, but it, I, it gets me more into this flow state when I'm sitting down um, and really engulfed in the project on a deeper level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I'll pull it up right here, the piece you did for the New York Times on, uh, I, was, I, believe, I forget the title, it was like Homeless People in Los Angeles, you did a whole write-up piece and photographic story for the New York Times. Was this, again, something you were just kind of photographing yourself and pitched to the New York Times, or is this something that they came to you for? Yeah, so this is a big, uh, long-term project that I started in 2012 uh, on the streets of California, and I you know, it's been photographed in chapters and over a long period of time. Um, And some of these are from assignment work. Um, Some of this is personal work. Um, And 
the New York Times came to me and said, um, you know, if how much time would you need to go out and photograph the homeless situation um, for a period of time and um, come back to us with a story, with an op-ed? And I, you know, so I said, um, you know, I need like a few weeks to go and do something to kind of capture um, what's going on right now. And so that, that op-ed um, was a reflection piece from my time starting in 2012 um, up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, there was one gentleman you photographed like twice. It was like you photographed him. It was like him sitting at a table and he had a had a sign around his neck that said more love. And you had photographed him like originally, I think, almost like in almost like 10 years ago, I think, or something like that. And then you came back and photographed him again recently, which was, uh, I mean, sad to see that he was still on the street like that. But it was like pretty powerful that kind of showed you like sometimes people get in a bad spot and it's very hard to get out of these tough situations, you know? Yeah. So that was David Bush. And yeah, I met him in 2012 in Venice and he's a homeless activist. Um, and he, we, you know, we ended up creating a project together actually, and would meet at coffee shops. Um, and so I photographed him multiple times and, um, over many years and, I still will go back and meet up with him when I go back to Venice. So, um, yeah, David Bush is, you know, a longtime friend. Yeah. That homeless situation in California is really insane. Like I lived in California a couple of times when I was a kid and then after high school and I just went back for the first time, like a year ago, I hadn't been back to California in like almost 10 years. And it was like, it was mind blowing to see this, like driving down the street on the highways, especially like in Hollywood, like, like near Hollywood high, it was just like tents all the way down the sidewalks under the under passages, the highways. And it's really, I mean, you've been photograph- photographing this for a long time. I would imagine you've probably seen a notable uptick from when you started shooting this to now there's more and more people you seem like that are homeless, right? Oh, totally. And then just, it feels like younger people too, just more and more youth. Um, it's, and, and just situations that, feel like we could easily fall into as well it it always feels like every time I go out and meet somebody new that I could easily be in their position um and it's just one thing that can happen and then it's harder and harder to get out the longer you stay out on the streets um because you get you know you get used to it and um and then once it's past a certain point you're you're comfortable so um and then you know there's other things you can fall into like drugs and all that but yeah Yeah. it's definitely growing and is that something you think you're going to continue to photograph and work on moving forward definitely yeah and especially with the pandemic and the the evictions going on um it, it needs to be documented because enough is still not is not getting done. We need, we need housing. It's so very serious. Oh, it's insane. The one that that was mind blowing for me is you photographed a a woman named Isabel and she worked a full-time job and she had a young daughter and they were this like living in their car or when they could basically they got, I think vouchers to live in motels. And it's just like, that's just what shows you like, if you're working a full-time job and you don't have anywhere to live, man, there, there's something wrong with our society, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. And she had a daughter, you know, she's living in that car with her daughter and who she got sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there, so she, I talked to her just recently and she actually got into housing. So That's she's, good. she's set, she's good. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a tr- tricky time for her. She was able to have safe parking. Um, there's a uh, safe parking lots all throughout Los Angeles where mm-hmm. people can park and um, get support. And that was where she was able to get those vouchers um, to get into those hotels. Uh, and then she was able to get 
um, the support she needed for a house. So, yeah, yeah, no, really intense. Um, and I think you, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're the co-founder of something called the mirror. Is, is that, I read that correctly. It, yeah. So that is the mirror mirror project. And, um, that was a project I started with David Bush, that oh. homeless activist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started that in 2014. Um, and that was where we actually um, paired professional artists with homeless youth in uh, Los Angeles. And so that was an amazing project that really got me into learning about the housing crisis, um, t- really talking to the youth on a very intimate personal level, um, and being able to educate our community about that. And then with art, creating um, exhibitions. So the youth and the artist paired up together Mm -hmm. and they would do portraits of each other. And at the end of the project, we would find a space to hold an exhibition and put all the artwork that was created up on the walls um, and then invite uh, more of the community out to look at the work um, and learn about what was going on. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I looked at your guys' website. It looks like there's like a podcast now and there's a bunch of stuff. Is it is the mirror something you guys think you're going to continue to hopefully work on? Obviously harder now with COVID to have exhibitions or whatnot, but is that something you think you'd like to keep building on? Totally. I think it it, it pushes um, the work to another level, to a more, you know, in-person, like tangible level. Um and where people are having real conversations. So I think that's where I would love to take my work is to really push it beyond, you know, just the photograph, but really engaging conversations. Um, so that project is an, a great example of that. No, that's amazing. And, you know, one thing I was interested to get your opinion on, which is like, it's crazy. Like we live in this world now where you have like a large p- portion of society and even like elected officials on some people who view the media as like, you know, fake news or like the enemy of the people, like as a journalist who's telling these hard hitting stories, like how do you kind of deal with that? And like, where do you think people should go to to get their news? Because there's so many different outlets now and you get all these people saying like fake news, media, this media, that like, what's your kind of whole take on that, all that? Yeah, I think staying off of, you know, Facebook and getting news on Facebook and like the big media outlets on TV and just having TV on blast like that news over and over and over is just, I feel um, could be toxic. And Mm -hmm. I think seeking out um, people that you trust, reporters and writers um, and outlets you know, like the, like National Geographic and the New York Times um, are ones that I really love and just, you know, doing your research, really doing your research and not just trying to find um, news just as entertainment, but really finding things that you care about. Um, Yeah. Being intentional. Definitely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I see it's, so much more and more and i'm like i'm like i try to tell even people i know like those like oh, the media is this media is that i'm like i know people like the journalists that are working on the stories that you're doing and other people this is their life they're not out here telling lies they're doing the hard work so it's like yeah like I, that's the same thing with me I, I i subscribe to the new york times wall street journal i look at like i still i'll watch fox news and i watch cnn just to see what they had to say and kind of hear the other opinions and stuff just to know what's out there but yeah i think for me, it's just like reading a lot of different sources and I guess kind of deciphering what what's real and what's not, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Agreed. Totally agreed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess to wrap up, like um, what's next for you? Like obviously crazy times, but anything you're kind of hoping to work on this year or what's kind of where, where do you kind of see your photography going in the future or where do you hope to see it go? Yeah. So um you know, I'm working on a lot of, I'm working on a grant for National Geographic. Um, 
I, I, like I said, I really see, you know, activism as part of my photography. Um, so as much as I can, like start envisioning um, more in-person like exhibitions, I would love to do that with my work. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm working on a big project um, up in Ashland, Oregon about the aftermath of the fires. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of stories like that that need to be told that I don't want to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course the homeless situation in the Bay Area um, is coming up to a year anniversary um, in March where we've been, you know, on this lockdown. So, you know, covering that heavily and just making sure that issue gets um, out into the world. Mm, that's amazing. And I know you mentioned the grant with Nat Geo. Um, what, what's kind of entailed with that? I, what is that? Like a grant with Nat Geo, it's kind of a project you're going to work on with them or like, how does that work? Yeah, so they have an ongoing grant, um, a few different ones that you can apply for. Um, so they're just, they take a long time. You've got to gather a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of writing. Um, and then, yeah, so it just will help me fund my work on um, the housing crisis yeah. for, you know, the upcoming year or years. So that's amazing. Well, Rachel, can't thank you enough and can't thank you for all the hard work you're doing out there telling these uh, difficult stories, but very important stories that people need to hear. Um, so definitely anybody listening, I'll put the link in the description. You can go check out Rachel's website, Instagram and everything. But uh, can't thank you enough, Rachel. Thank you, Alex. I uh really appreciate it. <laughs> So there you have it. That was the Rachel Bajowski interview. I uh, can't thank Rachel enough for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, it's really kind of interesting hearing about her journey with photography and her approach to um, photographing all these really amazing stories on uh, very tough issues sometimes. And uh, this really amazing photographer. So definitely go check out Rachel's work at rachelbajowski.com as well as on Instagram at Rachel Bajowski. I'll put the links in the descriptions, uh, but definitely go give her a follow. Lots of amazing work. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as the Photo Banter YouTube page. Uh, so definitely go check us out on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button as it'd be much appreciated. And as always, thanks so much for listening and take care.